folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it means it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. I've got the best job in the world, so I just get to hang out here every day, hanging out with folks like this, talking about poker. My name's Jim Reed. I'll be your host for tonight on Bluff Storini in the Home Game. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, uh, and you'll also learn about the Wrecking Crew, which is sort of the group that really makes everything happen here at Rec Poker. Um, in fact, why don't you just hear from them right now? They can introduce themselves and you can get to know them a little better. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 on the Poker Stars home game. And I'm Monkey System, and you can find me at the uh, Monkey System everywhere, Keith Brandt. I am Kim Kilroy. I am uh, PatBat, PatBat33, most places, Fergie56 in the home game. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50, just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss. Uh, you can find me in the Rec Poker home game as, game as GopherboyTJM or on Twitter at Taylor underscore Moss. I'm Woody Adams. I play as Rocketbox on PokerStars Pennsylvania. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Woody Adams. Right on. And, uh, we are, this is the wrecking crew, like I tell you about, but there's also we encourage our premium members to come and bring hands or forum posts that they've enjoyed and bring it on to the show here. So we've got Rob and John in the chat as well. I hope you get a chance to chat to hear from them a little later on. Of course, I'd be remiss not to thank our sponsors, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino and Website Amp uh, for all that they do to keep us going here. So it's Monday night. We're getting together. We just got out of a great uh, chats edition of the of the podcast, which we do every Monday night at 7.30 Eastern on YouTube. So you can go and uh, subscribe to that. Come join us live every week and ask your own questions of the guests that we have on the show. It's a super fun time. Um, and you can also, if it's Monday night, you know that we're playing in the, just like we do every night in the free play money home games here at rec poker, trying to steal each other's chips. And the other thing we do every Monday night is we take a post from the rec poker forums free to join, by the way, and uh, talk about it here on the air. So this week we're going to be talking about C betting and we're going to start just by having a very general conversation about C betting because every month Chris Jones puts together a different learning theme here at rec poker. A lot of our stuff is free. We do a lot of free videos. The forums are free. Uh, Discord's free. YouTube's free. The podcast is free. We also have a premium membership where for $15 a month, there are learning activities that go on virtually every day of the month, sometimes two or three different uh, events throughout the day. And uh, one of them is this sort of themed learning content that we engage with at several points throughout the month. So Chris, um, we're dealing with seabedding in the month of June. And uh, why don't you just talk to us a little bit about why you thought seabedding was important enough to make it uh, a theme and what you're hoping that some of our members can take away from it this month. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. This is kind of a new thing for us to try to, to wrap some of our content together. So we're going to be kicking off with uh, a play and learn session, which we then record, which we then have some recorded content about, and then some follow-up uh, we'll have a follow-up Q&A at the end of the month. So if you're listening to this, uh, join us at the end of the month uh, in, in June, where we'll be kind of wrapping up this topic. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And the reason I think we started with this topic is I think it is um, one of the, you know, it's one of the most common situations we find ourselves in, in poker. Um, and it's something that I think we all fundamentally understand 
okay, I need to do this a lot because it's effective. And, um, and I think that's, that's sort of ingrained in us as players. Um, but I do think that there is a sort of a, a kind of like a, a misunderstanding or sometimes some, some kind of mistakes that players might be making in some of these spots where, you know, where the, maybe they're just kind of feeling it out. Well, sometimes I'm supposed to check back, uh, you know, this, I didn't hit, or this didn't seem like a really good one. So maybe I'll check back here. Um, this one, or maybe I'm not going to vary my sizing at all, but maybe, you know, I'm just always going to bet the same amount when I see bet. And I think there are some, some ways that we want to think about C betting, even uh, no matter what kind of level we're at to sort of like expand our game a little and really think about, what are the kinds of situations where we want to check back more? What are the kind of situations where we want to check, where we want to bet bigger? Uh, what, what, you know, I think a lot of us are kind of getting used to the idea that we, that see betting small is sort of the right answer in a lot of situations, but there are situations where it's not the right answer, or it's, that it's not at least as good an answer as maybe some other options. And I think that's really where I'm hoping this conversation can, can lead us to really break down what are those situations where we want to either check back, bet big? Um, you know, why why do we want to? Oh, and I think the other thing that really trips people up is uh, multi-way spots. How do we approach c-betting in in multi-way spots? So I think that's at least as a, an initial framework why I think this topic is so important. So when we find ourselves in a lot, and it's one that I think people can mess up sometimes. <laughs> Bring up a lot of really great points, Chris. Um, I think that. Uh... I think that before we kind of go too far down that rabbit hole, we ought to touch on like, what's the C-bet? We ought to say like, what's the point of like, what, what, why, like C-bet, what the fuck is that? Excuse me. But like, it means something. And it wasn't always part of people's game to just fire up a bet when you miss. And we, um, we talk about it so much, but maybe before we go too deep into like when the perfect time to do, you know, a three quarter pot size C bet would be, maybe we can start talking about like, well, when would you fire off a bet on the flop after you've opened the pot? Yeah, great point, right. Woody. So let's let's define our terms. So a C bet, exactly. The exactly. C, I know, Rob, you're jumping in right with this. It's the- called a continuation bet. <laughs> let's let's start with that, so that everybody is on the same page. I mean, we all know that what a C bet is, right? Because we we all talk about this all the time. But for anybody that's new and and just learning some of these concepts, a continuation bet is typically a bet after you have raised the pot initially this is pre-flop you you put in a raise and the most common situation is you get called by the big blind you see a flop now what do you do it's the when you bet it's called a continuation bet and what we're going to talk about is when do we continuation bet based on the flop structure um, the size of the pot all those types of different things but it's when do we see bet how much do we see bet and why so yeah, that, that's the ba- background so now we can start great great point thanks for uh, woody and rob for putting that out there so continuation betting what we're continuing is our aggression from the previous street 
What we're continuing is our range advantage. So when you're pre-flop and you're the last person to make the aggressive action, what that means is that the other player in the hand or players in the hand uh, have called. So they've capped their range by not re-raising you already. So this is one of the reasons why continuation bets are effective uh, because you have all, your last action was aggressive. Their last action was passive. So they've capped their range and you have not. So, so what, whatever you actually have in your hand, your range uh, is uncapped and your opponent's range is capped. So you can kind of continue your aggression and generate a lot of folds, whether you have a value hand or not. Yeah, Woody? I think you you kind of nailed it right at the end there. What I was about to say is like the point that, you, that you're trying to do is you're trying to win the pot of on multiple streets in multiple ways. So uh, the first street that you're trying to win the pot on is pre-flop. When you're raising pre-flop, you're trying to win those chips. And then when you do get called, you're still trying to win the pot. And one way to do that is by firing off a bet. This, the nuances of how much you should bet, when you should do it, how much time you should take to do it, mm. who you should do it against. That's stuff that we should explore. Yeah, I like it. Well, let's take a little time at first and just talk about some of the sort of the basics and why it works and uh, the bread and butter spots that we get into. And then we can tease out some of the more sophisticated ways to use seabedding or um, to apply seabedding to your game. Chris? Yeah, and I mean, I guess to kind of go back to to that, the initial question or, the you know, like, what is a seabed and why do we do it? One of the things to really think about is that if we uh, open um, sort of from any sort of, you know, either early or even late position and we get called by the big blind and you just think about your own approach in the big blind, you're going to be calling with a lot of more hands, right? From the big blind, just by the nature of the, the way a poker table works, you're just, you're just going to end up calling with hands, you know, like your jack eight offsuit or something like that from the big blind and just, and you're just going to defend. Um, but what that means then is that the player who is taking that action, particularly in the big blind, they have a really uh, large set of hands that they have in their, their, and it means that, that sometimes when it's a jack eight deuce flop and they had that jack eight offsuit, they're going to nail a flop and you're going to be stuck there with your Queens and it's going to, that's going to stink, right? <laughs> but for the most part, what that means, so they're going to have some really high value hands that you might not expect, but the predominant part of their range is going to be trash because for every jack eight uh, offsuit that they had, they're going to have a lot of, you know, like seven fives that don't hit that at all. Um, and what we're doing with the C bet here is we're protecting our hand. Um, we're getting value when we have value and we're trying to fold out that trash, uh, particularly if we have a vulnerable hand uh, or a hand that has no value at all. We're just trying to, uh, you know, find a spot where, where, where we can, you know, collect some chips uh, based on the fact that we know our opponent is weak. Yeah. And, and everybody wins chips when they make the best hand. So if we all just only get paid in poker by making the best hand, all we're going to do is trade those chips around because everybody gets dealt straight uh, uh, strong cards the same percentage of the time. So poker, winning at poker is about winning when you don't have the best hand. So it's about making other people fold. And C-bets are great 
re- a way to do that because of the way that the game sets up. And so Chris, Sky Matsuhashi talks about this all the time, a bread and butter situation. And that's what we're talking about in June. It's not only C-betting, continuation betting, but actually continuation betting in position. So when Sky talks about a bread and butter spot, it is a spot where you have position, where you took the pre-flop uh, aggressive action, and you're going to be in a position to now make a continuation bet. And just like we talked about a squeeze play on an earlier episode several weeks again, uh, several weeks ago, um, the reason a squeeze play works is kind of similar to the reason why a C-bet works. It's not magic. It's just that the circumstances in the hand have set it up so that you have a very strong presence and your opponent has a very weak range. So it's a great chance to make them fold. Um, and that's why it's a very common tactic. What do you? Yes. Before uh, we go too far off of it, uh, Chris, you were saying that, like the second time that you were saying, like highlighting, you're often going to be in a situation where you're up against the big blind because that person is often the person who is going to be calling you. So um, when we're talking about C-bets, it's important that we also consider our opponent's position, whether that is on a blind or if, uh, for instance, they would have a a, a stronger range if they ended up calling a three-bet from, you know, under the gun. So um, that's like when we're talking about C-bets, you think about your cards, you think about your range you think about your opponent's range and then you've got to think about what their position is yeah and that's a good point woody because it can be anytime you maintain the aggression from a previous street you have an opportunity to see that so it could be that you opened and got called or it could be that someone else opened and you three bet them you re-raised them and then they called that re-raise anytime where you have an opportunity to continue the aggression aggression on a future street that's that's an opportunity to see bet, and when and we'll get into this, so uh, June is really focused to see betting in position. July is going to be see betting out of position, and it is drastically different. The kinds of hands that you're going to choose to do it, the frequency is going to be lower. Um, Gareth James did a great series of review videos for us on see betting in and out of position, so um, some of our premium members can check that out too. But it's just it's a powerful tool. See um, betting is a powerful tool, uh, Rob. So just to uh, tack on to what Woody was saying, if somebody under the gun raises pre-flop and then you three bet and then he calls, he's going to have a much stronger set of hands that he called you with than the potential of the big blind calling at if you opened from, say, middle position. So that's what Woody was talking about. So it's very important understanding the position of your opponent when you're going to make that C-bet because it's going to change the strength of the hands that he's going to show up to the flop with. Yep. Great point. Great point. Um, So we, you know, (laughs) continuation betting is so helpful and and popular and effective that we've just shortened it to C-betting because that just makes it a little easier. Um, Now, and it's kind of gone in and out of vogue over time too. Uh, originally, you know, when people just figured out, hey, wait a second, I've got range advantage here and I can start taking pots away on the flop with a pretty small bet. Um, it got very popular. Suddenly people were C-betting like 100%. 
now people are kind of figuring out that people are seabedding too much. So they're calling wider or check raising wider, that kind of stuff. It does kind of evolve over time as, uh, as the poker theory generally does. Yeah. Woody? Eric Seidel, he was the one that was like 100% seabed. <laughs> is that, was yeah. that Eric Seidel? Probably. The guy's a genius. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's ahead he of was, the curve. He was doing that way back when. <laughs> uh, Raymer recommended that in his book too. Yep. Well, because it works, right? So um, so we've talked about sort of what are the nuts and bolts of a seabed, of a continuation bet. So you can be in position or out of position. It can be on the flop or on a future street. We're going to be mostly talking about flops here for the for the purposes of this conversation. And it can be any pre-flop action as long as you took the last aggressive action. Um, so maybe we should talk a little bit about different kinds of opportunities to see bet. Chris, are you more interested in starting with talking about textures or whether it's heads up or multi-way or what other kind of factors do you think are kind of crucial to getting at this? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the things that I think about the, I mean, I don't know which one is, you know, which one we want to talk about first, but I think the things that I think about are um, stacks, effective stacks, who, you know, how many chips are, are possibly in play um, the positions that we're talking about, who's, who's involved, how many people are involved, um, is this heads up or is it something else? Um, and then we start looking at, uh, ranges and flop textures. So like what kind of flop are we looking at and who, who is this flop more likely to be beneficial to? And we call those advantage or disadvantage flops. Um, and to me, those are like the really big factors in determining, how often we see bet and then what kind of sizing we approach in terms of our C bets. And I think if we use the example of say we're in late position and we open um, and someone calls from the big blind. So when Chris talks about ranges, you can think about just sort of like, what does that range look like when you're open raising from late position? You probably have an idea of what that range looks like. It's like 25% of hands or something like that. And when uh, the player calls in the big blind, they're going to have a very wide range because you gave them a good price, I'm sure. And they're showing up with a lot because they're defending that big blind a lot. So just intuitively, you can think about two different board textures and it should be clear why one is better for the pre-flop aggressor and why one is better for the pre-flop caller. So, and uh, yeah, great point in the chat here. This, we are we are mostly talking about tournament play here, but seabedding as a... As a uh, as a concept is going to be applicable to any kind of poker that you play. Um, and it, and it's just as helpful in, uh, in cash games as it is in tournaments, but we, we do tend to take sort of a tournament uh, based focus on this kind of stuff. So let's say we open in late position. Someone calls from the big blind and let's say we've got pocket twos. The board comes ACE King four uh, uh, rainbow. So if you think about, our opponent who called from the big blind, they probably don't have pocket aces because they would have three bet preflop. They probably don't have pocket kings. They probably don't have ace king. So maybe they have ace four. Maybe they've got pocket nines or tens or pocket sevens. Maybe they've got jack queen for a, a, a gut shot. Um, but they they don't have the very top of the range in that spot. But you. All you've done is open the hand. You could have pocket aces. You could have pocket kings. You could have ace king. You could have pocket fours, which they also could have. 
So generally, you're going to have what's referred to as range advantage and nuts advantage on a board like that ace-king-4 rainbow. But then let's think about the kind of hands that uh, players are going to call with out of the big blind. And let's say the flop comes eight, nine, 10, two hearts and a spade. Well, eight, nine, 10. Yeah, you've got pocket sevens and pocket eights and pocket nines and pocket tens, but so does your opponent. And they've got a lot of the eight, nine, 10, nine, 10, eight, you know, suited or unsuited hands that they defended with because they were getting such a great price. Um, and you might not even have as many combos of those if you're opening from middle position, let's say. You're probably not opening 10-8 offsuit uh, or something like that. So when the board comes out sort of middle like that, uh, then in, in a lot of times, your range advantage as the opener has shrunk quite a bit compared to that earlier board, which came ace-king-4 uh, or something like that. So that's, uh, that's one sort of intuitive way to think about it. So I guess what we're saying is if you had pocket twos, you would be c-betting more often. It, your entire range, I guess, would be c-betting more often on that ace-king-4 board than it would on the uh, 8-9-10 board because your opponent just has more value against that board. Yeah, Woody? Yeah, and specifically, I agree with what you're saying, um, that you want to be able to fire off a c-bet on the ace-king-4 ace-king ace-king board. Yeah. Um pretty much when you when you have an ace or when you don't and so um you got to be able to like i think about specifically like when you said that scenario in my head i thought oh yeah that's like a, a snap small bet like that's a snap like quarter pot if that like maybe not even a quarter pot and you're telling a story whenever you're putting money into the mm, pot. So true. And part of the story that you'd be wanting to tell if you did have deuces on that board is that you don't have deuces. So you tell that story by telling them, hey, just come along for one more street. This cheap little, cheap little bet is going to get you that. And you're going to make that set on the turn. Just come along <laughs> one more street. That's right. Ease him along with it. <laughs> so you want to be able to do that when you have a value hand, like an ace, something like that. Or you also want to be able to do it when you're... Uh, yeah, when you're bluffing, bluffing when you when miss the flop. Yeah, when you're bluffing. Yeah. yeah. And that makes you harder to play against, right? And And one general rule when we talk about this kind of stuff is... The, the wider your range to take an action, typically the, the sizing is going to be smaller. So on that ace-king four board, you're going to c-bet at a very high frequency with a large part of your range. And so you're going to do it at a smaller sizing. On the eight, nine, 10 board, you're going to be c-betting a smaller frequency, a smaller portion of all the hands that you could have. And you're also going to be uh, betting to a, a higher amount. Um, which is not always the case, but generally those two things do kind of work together when you're thinking about board textures and sizing. So when would we not want to see bet, Chris? Or what were what would be some factors that would incline us to, to just check behind? Let, let's say we're in position, we make an open, someone calls from the big blind. What is going to come up that makes us think, you know what, I'm actually not going to put that seabed out there this time. 
So what we want to look at, I think, are there's there's uh, some key factors when we think about um, we want to look at the the stack sizes, the effective stacks. We want to say like how how many chips are we potentially dealing with in this hand? Um, that's one thing we want to look at. The next thing we want to look at is uh, we want to evaluate the flop texture. And so the things that that I like to look at are um, is this uh, what is called either a dynamic or a static flop? And by that, we mean, is this, uh, if a turn card comes, how much is it likely going to change who has the best hand? Um, well, I mean, a turn card will come, right? But like how how likely, how many kinds of turn cards are likely to change who has the best hand that that would make it a more dynamic flop. So an example of that would be uh, something like um, a flop that like you named like a 10, nine, eight with two hearts, right? That's a very dynamic flop. There's so many cards are going to change the the turn cards are going to change the dynamic. Even if somebody had pocket tens in that situation, right. Or, or queen Jack, right. They're, they're, they're feeling good, but they're not feeling great. Right. Um, and then the other, uh, the other thing that I like to look at is advantage versus disadvantage. So like the thing that you were talking about when we have an ace king four board, when we're in position and we've opened early um, and our opponent can't really have the aces or the kings or the ace kings of the world, um, we have what's that's an advantage board for us because we have we have an advantage on that board and therefore we have more of an opportunity to bet. And what the way that that I tend to look at that is when we have an advantage and it's more of a static board, it's not about to change very much. We can bet a lot and we can bet small. When it's a, a disadvantage board, or it's Sorry, very real quick, just because yeah. you say you we can bet frequently into a small sizing you say we can bet a lot i think some people might be confused that you mean yes. like we can bet a lot of chips but you mean we bet often but often. for a small amount yes correct yes. we can yes. bet often with a large part of our range if not the entirety of it um to a small amount um but when it's a disadvantage board or a board that is very dynamic or we're in multi-way situations things that are going to make this hand tougher to play those are boards that we may want to bet less frequently check back more often but potentially when we do make our c bet increase the sizing of it so that it um getting into that sort of two-thirds kind of pot range even a pot size c bet we can experiment with a larger sizing in those kinds of dynamics nice kim um I agree with all of that, that Chris said. Um, I just want to say, like, versus the big blind, from what I've studied lately, um, the, the big blind board, like a, a, the type of board that hits the big blind a lot and the type of board that we would want to check heavily, so maybe only have a 50% continuation bet versus 100% continuation bet, would be a board that is three cards eight and below mm. uh, because the big blind can have pretty much all of the offsuit two pair hands and especially uh, cards eight and below where there's some straight uh, potential. There's two cards to a straight. 
So those are those are the types of boards that can hit the big blind a lot. So we just want to be careful uh, how much we we continuation bet in those spots. Um, and also, I wanted to say on paired boards, when you have when the lower card is paired, it's more likely to hit the big blind than if the high cards are paired. So if we have Jack Jack seven or jack jack four that's an easy continuation bet much less likely that the big blind will have uh trips than if it is sort of a one high card and two sort of big blind but like a eight eight or seven seven paired a lower card um also like hands like ace high Flops like ace high or king high, we should be continuation betting pretty much 100% of the time with uh, sort of a small continuation bet. And flops that are sort of more, a little bit more dynamic, which was Chris was saying with um, maybe jack, queen jack 10 high with also two cards that could connect with the big blind. Those are ones we want to bet a little bit less frequently, like say maybe 65% of the time. And we want to use a bigger continuation bet. That's a lot to remember. But if we just sort of start looking at these flops, it's it's we can sort of go through and, okay, is this flop one where we bet most of the time? Is this one where we bet not very much? Is this one we bet sort of in the middle? Yeah, so. Woody? I think what's interesting, we're kind of we're kind of trying to, generate some general rules on how to how to see that and um and i think it might be important to note that like uh kim you're talking about like for your range when you when you um when you're firing off like if let's say you had aces on that ace king four board right not deuces would you still be betting a small amount frequently okay yes yeah So you don't, so that's a point, I guess that, that kind of makes the point that like, you're not, you're not telling your opponent your hand by over betting or by, by betting them out of the pot. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point because we are talking when, you know, when we talk about frequencies, we're kind of talking in the vacuum of information where we're just trying to say like, what's the theoretical, you know, GTO best uh, decision to make with no information. Um, but not everyone should play balanced and not every opponent warrants playing in a balanced fashion. So, um, one question that you should be asking yourself is, is this even a position where like balance matters or should we be just massively exploiting the players uh, that we're playing against? And in that case, kind of throw some of these rules out the window, especially when it comes to sizing. Um, if you can exploit a player with sizing, that's typically a good decision to do it. If they're not going to catch on that you're, as Woody says, you're kind of showing them the strength of your hand by having a bigger sizing with a more valuable hand, then if they're not going to take advantage of that, then you should absolutely take them to town and uh, and make them. Right. Make them. right. If you have like a perfectly fit or fold person in the big blind that you know is going to fold if they haven't hit anything, you can just always make a small bet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they're out there, folks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so if they call, they've hit something. So now if you have value, you can make your turn bet a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. The, the other type of opponent 
uh, that you run into a lot is the one that was always going to call your CBET because they know they or they heard that everybody's CBETing, so they better call because you've got garbage. But then they overfold on the turn. Mm-hmm. They're going to call too much on the flop and then overfold to the barrel. You got to watch out for that too because you can make a lot, a lot of money off of those players. And that's a great point. With absolute air. Yeah, and and this is another ten. You know, one of the things that's great about poker is it's got these multiple streets for us to use the information we got on previous streets to our advantage. So um, when you make a very small C bet and your opponent calls, they've kind of capped their range again, um, where you know they've chosen not to raise you. So that tells you something about their hand. And a very common technique, which we've talked about on the show before, is to make these small C bets find out how your opponent responds, and then make bigger bets on future streets. And now not only do you win that money that was in their pre-flop, but you also win that money that they put in when they called your C-bet on the flop. So that's a great uh, great technique. Smaller bet on the flop, bigger bet on the turn. Um, that is going to work a lot of the time uh, as well. So I think if you have one of those inelastic type of players that is going to call no matter what, then you're better off betting bigger on the on the flop because you're going to get more money on the flop and he's going to fold on the turn. Yep. So you can come back on the turn and bet maybe 40% of the pot after betting uh, 75% of the pot on the flop. If you have that type of player, that would be an exploit to that type of player. You're going to get more chips that way. That's a great point, Rob. Yeah, and, and ultimately, sorry, sorry, can you say it again? In my game, that prints that yep. prints money. Yep, because that's what you're winning. You're winning the money that they put in the pot, right? So I think that's that's a great point. Exploit those inelastic players by making them uh, put more chips in when they're behind. Um, all right. Well, this is interesting. Um, I'm trying to think about bef- before we move on to because in the next month we're going to talk about c betting out of position. We're going to talk about defending against c bets. Um, are there other circumstances where we're like, oh, we have to see bet here all the time, or we're never going to see bet here uh, or the time? I know, like one thing, as as we play with players that play too many hands, which a lot of recreational players do, when they play too many hands pre-flop, all those hands have to go somewhere. They're either going to fold on the flop or on the turn or on the river, or they're going to get to showdown. So. If you have players that are playing too many hands, you're just like giving them an opportunity to fold on these earlier streets or else they're going to get to showdown with a really weak range. And then you, the only way to beat them is by having a stronger hand. Yeah, Woody? Um, I'm a, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. That's sort of like, where do the hands go? Well, they, they go into the muck. Right, oh, yeah. <laughs> but the, um, uh, the thing that I was, that I was kind of thinking about there when you fire off a continuation bet on the flop, no matter what size it is, if it's small or if it's big, you're still like leading with that. You're still like being the aggressive player, which still gives you sometimes a free street. That mm. means that like, say I bet quarter pot on a flop that I whiffed. And then the, the player who ends up calling that bet on the flop, they actually have a tendency to check most turns mm-hmm. and when they check a turn to you then you have another decision to make and it's an aggression point there you could either follow through or you could check back and see a free river 
it's like you have fired off a, a continuation bet can win you a pot straight away or can win you a pot with a later bet down the street. Makes sense. I get why people are making all these continuation bets. <laughs> when you put it like that, why wouldn't you? Um, and that, that is a great point because, and that's why we should be C betting at a pretty high frequency, especially in position on, on a lot of boards. Because when you do have a made hand, you're putting money in the pot when building a pot, which is great. When you don't have a made hand, you're uh, giving your opportunity, your opponent, the opportunity to put chips in, and then maybe you're going to take it away with a bigger bluff on a later street. Um, but as Woody points out, especially when you're in position, you also, when you're drawing, you give yourself the option of seeing all five cards with just that one bet. When you make that C bet in position on the flop, they call, they check to you on the turn. Now you have the opportunity to check behind and you've actually seen two more cards. You get to see all the cards before they get to act again. Um, so that's extremely, extremely valuable. And you and, can get, you can get at that point, once you get to a river after you've seen bet and the check and the turn goes check, check, there's a, there's so many things that you can do to, to um, get your opponent to fold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in fact, we we did a whole we did a whole seminar last year, Chris. I think on um, post flop betting lines and like telling the story and how bet check bet might take a different value, uh, might find a different uh, holdings than like check than bet bet check or something like that. So it really does matter the story that you're telling. Yeah, and right. I mean, as does okay. okay. No, I was going to say as does bet check call. Mm. Because now mm. you've shown weakness on the turn, and now you can call all those bluffs now it gives your opponent if you have a savvy opponent the opportunity to bluff on the river great and now you can call so that pretty widely bet flop check turn and then uh allow them to fire their range into us and whether or not we want to raise their call there or fold there it's our decision to make but yeah. we are also we are going to be getting value kim what you're saying is we're going to be getting value from a lot more bluffs from our opponents who are firing out of position on their mistrals than we would um, necessarily uh, otherwise. Yeah, some players will bet hands if checked to that they would not call a bet if you make the bet. So some for some of those players against that part of their range, your only way to get any more chips out of them is to give them the impression of weakness so that they bet into you instead as a bluff. Um, so that that's a very and, villain dependent, as we say. And you know, it's not just, no, it's not always wrong for your opponent to do that. Oh like, no, not at all. It's, it's oftentimes the right thing for your opponent to bet a river when they miss or mm -hmm. when they have value. So it, it's, it's not an easy decision to make for you either. It's true. Rob, did you have something there? I was just going to ask a question. Um, Unacceptable. Over, <laughs> overall, um, we we we've talked about how we're going we're going to continuation bet at a high frequency um, in this type of flop. We're going to see bet at a low frequency with another type of flop. But overall, Jim, I'm going to ask you, Mister Poker Tracker, <laughs> what. What is a good C bet percentage for somebody overall, over all the flops and over all the C bets that you make? 
what is a good CBET percentage that someone should strive to attain? Yeah, great, great question, Rob. I think it, it does depend a bit on the player pool that you're playing against because you want to sort of CBET with different hands against sticky players than you do against players that are going to overfold. But I would say typically if you're in position, you should honestly be C-betting 85 or 90% of the time. Um, and on some boards, 100% of the time, like literally 100% of the time. And when I say that, I mean with 100% of your range that gets there. Um, but I think if you want to think about like 85 or 90% as an imposition, imposition C-betting range generally, I think that's going to be good. And out of position, it does cut down quite a bit. Uh, because out of being out of position just works against you on every street. So I think more like 60%. Um, again, it really does depend on the, on the players that you're playing against, but, um, I think taking that kind of approach to it and and again, multi-way would be another really important factor there as well, where you're going to do it less frequently, uh, when there's more villains out there, because it's more likely that someone else made a hand. And a lot of the time when you're seabedding, you're bluffing. So you only really want to do that in spots that are advantageous for you as the bluffer and multi-way on a uh, caller's flop texture is not going to be a good time to do that, a good opportunity to do that. Well, anything else on uh, sort of intro to C-betting before we roll on out of here? Woody, what do you got to say, my friend? Just before uh, we, uh, we get too far off, I think a lot of this conversation about having a bet to make on the flop potentially about to make on the turn and potentially to make on the river. It depends back to what Chris was saying about our stacks. I was getting into this shit. Mm. So like when you are betting pre-flop, like it's advantageous to keep it small. Like it's advantageous to bet like 2.17 big blind. Like don't, don't open for four and a half bigs because when you do, it gives you um, a lower stack to flop ratio when you are seeing a flop. And that makes your decisions um, more uh, critical. Mm-hmm. And you can make bigger mistakes too. So, and, and you know, so can your opponent. So it's, it's another one of those spots where it's, uh, it's villain dependent. And in cash games, you might be opening uh, to a bigger sizing pre-flop than in tournaments. Um, because the stacks are going to be deeper. You're going to be leveraging stacks differently. But I think that's a great point. In tournaments, a lot of what separates the great players from the good players is using really small sizing to leverage the same amount of fold equity from your opponents. Because when you're wrong, you want to have as few chips in the middle as possible when you're when you're taking those taking those spots. All right. Well, I thought this was a really good conversation, folks. We kind of got over the, the, the guts of C-betting. Um, what are good factors to do it? What are some circumstances that might lead you against it? Uh, if anyone has any thoughts on C-betting or questions, post it, post on the forums. We're going to be talking about C-betting all month long here in June in position. And then we'll be talking out of position in July uh, as well. So it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a cliche for a reason, folks, get those C-bets in there. That's step one. Step two, just profit, baby. That's all there is to it. C-bet, C-bet your way to the future. All right. Well, I think I want to thank uh, John, Chris, Rob, Kim, Woody, Taylor, Rob, Keith. Holy cow. We got a full house. Uh, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. Website Amp. And you, the listeners. Thanks, everybody.